Hi, I'm Jamie. I've been a producer, director, and a screenwriter. I'm Brad. I've been a videographer and a screenwriter. This is TV We Love, a podcast where we take a deep dive into a single season of our favorite TV shows. And maybe some of our second favorites, too. Hello, Jamie. Hello. How's it going? Going good. This is, it feels kind of weird because this is the first time that we are recording in the same room. Yeah. So I do not have a turkey wrap or pickles today. I can witness that myself. <laughs> I do he have. the truth. I do have a 1.8 liter of water. Uh, I have my water that I made with the orange crush squirty stuff. Nice. Yeah. Um, nice. I made it. Like at 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't want to say the brand name of my water. Yeah. But uh, I will say it's making my brain feel very efficient. <laughs> so. Oh, <laughs> clever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling really intelligent right now. Yeah. Um, so how's it going? Anything new this week? Good. Uh, had some good burgers. Are you burgered out, or do you think you could eat another burger tomorrow? I Well, maybe not tomorrow, but with it being summertime. Oh, which, happy Memorial Day, everybody. Oh, yeah. I hope happy they had Memorial a good Memorial Day. Day. Uh, but, yeah, with it being the kind of unofficial start to summer, I do feel like more burgers are in the future. So, I'm down. I'm down. Down yeah, with the burgers. Down with the burgers. Uh, are they the best burgers you've ever had? Oh, what? That's a you can't drop that on somebody. What? <laughs> the hesitation you That's can't. A lot drop, of pressure. You can't drop that. I've hesitation. had a lot of burgers in my life. I know. You know. I feel like Ooh, that's tough. The burger today was good. I feel like the burger yesterday was better, but maybe it's because I hadn't had a burger in a while. You know. Yeah, I don't know. They were good burgers. What, we're really good burgers. What is your ideal burger as far as uh, toppings go? Oh, I, I don't like tomato. I, I really. But we're talking about what you do like. Just say what you do like. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know what you're, where you're going with this. Do you? I like mayonnaise on my burger. That's I like not it. where I was going. That's I like That's not it. where I'm going. <laughs> Even though you're wrong, that's not where I was going with this. Mayonnaise belongs on burgers. Man. <laughs> oh, my God. If there was a single sentence that could raise my blood pressure, it's probably that. Anyway, just say what is your ideal burger, and I won't say anything. Okay. I'll cover my ears, though. Meat, bun. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, no shit. <laughs> Um, Otherwise, I do, it's a I peanut butter like, and jelly sandwich. I do like the pepper uh, jack cheese um, and mayonnaise. I like pickles on mine. Uh, the the dill slices. You put slices, not the little dill the chips. chips the oh, chips, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, the chips. All right, or was... or the big, the long, skinny. But you don't put the long. 
Yeah, they're like called stackers or something like that. Okay, made but you don't you don't put the quarter slices on. No, that's too much. Yeah, that I don't even know how that's possible. I suppose you could do it with a hot dog. Yeah, you but, could. You could. But that that would be wrong too. I mean, what else? <laughs> even I think a pickle on a hot dog is wrong. I don't like I don't like relish. Either. I've never had relish on a hot dog. Sometimes. But I've never had relish, I guess. I, but I've had pickles. I don't like sweet relish. That's the thing. Is relish just diced up pickles? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. With, I think it has, most of the time it has mustard, I think. Or oh, there's mustard. In the relish? There's mustard relish, yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> what else What else do you like on your burger? Anything? Is that it? You like <sighs> the devil sauce, which is mayonnaise? Yeah. You know, there, was cheese. A, there was a time I really liked, you know, a deluxe burger with onion and lettuce and mayonnaise and pickles and whatever I could fit on it. Yeah. Um, but I now I'm more of just a simple, just meat, cheese, bun, and condiments. So That's good. Usually mayonnaise, but I also like ketchup. On it as well, so with the mayonnaise, That's there so has to be mayonnaise and ketchup. That's not so just Now, I, I mayonnaise is acceptable with your poultry. That's it. I don't feel like mayonnaise ever belongs on a burger. Um, is it okay that I don't really make eye contact with you? Like it's, <laughs> it just feels weird to be in the same room and like yeah. Um, Are you a buns toasted or not toasted? Uh, it's not necessary. I think I'd like them toasted, but it's not a deal breaker if they're not. I, I can get behind that. I I just feel like the toasted buns helps the bun not get soggy. I mean, the bun can still get soggy, but I feel like it helps... Uh, Keep it a little crispy. Yeah, a little bit crispier. Yeah. So I like that. I, I, I like that. a crispy bun, not a soggy bun. Or a fresh bun is fine, too, if it doesn't get too soggy. But then, of course, I like the meat, you know, because that's what makes it a burger. <laughs> I love pepper jack cheese. Any cheese is fine except cheddar. Uh, American or pepper jack is traditional. For me, I love the pepper jack. And then <laughs> I put some Frank's Red Hot. On the oh, bun. Oh, yeah. That was good. And then I put ketchup on the burger. And then I also have like a side of ketchup on the plate so I can also dip and smear the ketchup onto the burger. Because, I don't know, that's just really delicious. I do have an extra little side of ketchup for dipping. It's so good. It is good. It's so good. You can kind of custom design the amount of ketchup with each bite. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's on the side. I've, I've been made fun of before. I used to work at a diner and the boss uh, saw me dipping things into ketchup and he just thought it was a totally uh, effeminate thing to do. Really? And, yeah. And I was, it, it didn't change me. I was like, this is what I like. I'm going to be dipping whatever I want. So good for you. Yeah. I got I'm made glad fun you, of you held strong on that. Yeah. So Jamie, we have a special guest this week. Yes, it's a super special episode because we reached out to Juanita Walmsley. Um, she was in episode one. She played the aunt, Janet Fontenot, of uh, 
Marie Fontenot, which was one of the victims of the story. Yes, and she was super amazing and gracious enough to send us a little audio clip. Yes, she was so fantastic. Um, we asked, we wanted to know so many things. We asked her um, how she got the role. Hey, Brad and Jamie. Hey, Brad and Juane. Hey, Brad and Jaime. There, that should cover it, right? Unless it's broad. Um, Juanita here. I'm so excited that you asked me to talk about True Detective. It's so awesome. I love talking about it. Um, all right. So how did I get the role? I got the role by auditioning here in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, we have a wonderful, thriving film industry and uh i auditioned through rpm casting and you know i got a call back and um everyone was there nick pizzolato uh who worked really uh heavily with uh carrie even on set and um you know it was a beautiful it was a beautiful callback um really moving and emotional and uh I was just very comfortable with them. And I remember I came in from out of town, possibly, or I came down uh, the elevator and the casting director, Megan Lewis, came out and she she let me know I got it. And um, it was just such a great feeling. I think I might have just been the only one there, um, you know, and just they wanted to meet you. Sometimes they just need to meet you to make sure you're not crazy, you know. Um and so, yeah, I was, I was super stoked. Um, it didn't hit me yet, you know, that I would be, I guess I'm, I'm good under pressure maybe, uh, because I knew who I'd be working with and I knew it was a big deal, you know? Um, but it, it yeah, it just, I think I just kept calm, you know? Then we asked her if she would speak about what her time was like on set. It was... A wonderful time on set. It was actually my favorite uh, set experience. It was the first time I ever had an actual trailer because it was just four of us. So it was, it was myself and um, my, I call him my film hubby because we've, he's been my husband, Chris Berry, uh, in two separate films, actually. Um, and then it was Matthew and Woody. And so I got to have this huge trailer. I don't know a lot of people who aren't actors don't really know this, but not everyone gets a trailer trailer. We get sometimes what's called a honey wagon and they ain't nothing that sweet about it. No honey wagon. Okay. It's small. It feels like a glorified Port, that's rude, but it feels like a glorified porta potty is. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, it's kind of it's got a little pedal toilet in there for you. Um, it's just small, and I'm a claustrophobic person, but um, it's just a place where you know you just hang out, hurry up and wait. Um, so it was my first time in a real trailer, and it was awesome. And then you know the set was so small and intimate, and we were out in, I believe it's Kiachi. I should know this, you know, but. Keatshie, K-E-A-T-C-H-I-E. Do you know? I mean, we really just wanted to know what it was like working with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson and Carrie Fukunaga and Nick Pizzolatto. I remember going into the makeup um, trailer and Matthew was there and uh, getting ready and I sat right next to him and I was so excited. I mean, Matthew and Woody, like Woody from Cheers, 
you know, that was just my jam. He's always been one of my favorites. And then A Time to Kill was one of my favorite movies, you know. And, you know, I can tell you that I've been on set and where you're you're so looking forward to meeting someone, you know, because of who they are, who they seem to be, and then they just smash your dreams. Like, I mean, they kill it real quick, right? So I was just like, please don't be an asshole. Please don't be an asshole. And I remember so clearly he was sitting in the makeup chair next to me, and uh, he turned his head real slow, you know, um, and he was just like, and I was like, hey, <laughs> And he said, hi. And then he turned his head like real slow back. And I was like, oh, hell no. I was like, you better not be an asshole. I'm just thinking in my head, you know, but like there's also the space, right? Of like he's in this space because I went to the table read. Um, so it was super exciting. I got to read the first two episodes, um, you know, and all of HBO was there. And it was just a great time. So I knew what I was getting into because, you know, as an actor, a lot of times you don't get the full script. You just get your parts um, and you show up and you put the puzzle pieces together, you know. Um, So that was amazing. And I was just like, okay, maybe he's in, maybe he's just in character, you know. Um, And so (laughs) further down, I remember my favorite moment was... We were in the scene and, uh, you know, we cut, we were off frame and it was Matthew and myself and then Woody. And I remember being like, oh my God, I'm in a Texas boy sandwich right now. (laughs) And um, we had just cut and we were going back to one and Matthew tapped me on my shoulder and I turned around and he gave me a big thumbs up, you know, um, because it was a really good take that time and it's just you know they don't have to do that right and it was just so moving and then Woody was just a dream as well and you know Matthew had just come off of Dallas Buyers Club just filmed that so um you know he was just really uh rising again and uh very serious about his craft and you know um there was the vibe and you could tell and and Woody uh was just you know he was what I always expected him to be, which was so great. I mean, he was kicking the soccer ball around uh, during takes. And I remember stepping out on the porch with him and he was like, do I know you? (laughs) And I was just in my head. I'm like, yeah, my dreams, you know, I know you real well. But uh, he was just so cool and so familiar, you know, um, exactly how how I thought he would be. And I think uh, working with Carrie, he taught me one of the biggest takeaways just as an actor, you know, and being pretty green. um, I remember there was a moment where Carrie said, Juanita, if you can't see the camera, the camera can't see you. And I just remember thinking, well, you don't have to tell me twice. You know, and I've taken that with me uh, on set ever since so um he was just he was great and nick was fantastic as well and they really worked hand in hand i mean there was i had questions uh that i asked carrie where he was like you know i think that's a nick question um you know and so it felt like we were truly working with both of them at least it it felt like that for me um and so you know that was really cool uh, Carrie being half Asian, you know, the first time I saw him, I was like, oh, wow, we could be siblings. That was kind of 
<laughs> heartwarming. With all the talent that was involved, could she tell it was going to be a huge success? Absolutely. So I feel like I have a knack for um, just picking up on the energy. I think you can always tell on set, you know, um, just like everyone coming together, creating this one vision. And for me, I feel like I can always tell like, oh, this is going to hit off, you know, and this is great. Just the caliber is set so high. Um, but the energy, you could just feel that it was something unique. Uh, at the table read, obviously, the writing was just incredible. And I just think that sometimes things, you know, come together to create this original, beautiful creation. And you you can't help but feel that. You can't help but feel that thing that is, is larger than you. And, you know, on the opposite spectrum, you can also feel like, oh, this is just get through this. You know, this is a day of work. Be thankful for having it and keep it moving. But that was certainly not that kind of experience. Um, so, yeah, I could tell it was going to be a big hit. And I've just been in love with HBO ever since I was a little kid. I joke around, but, like, HBO was my babysitter, you know. So <laughs> um, probably not great parenting, but, you know, worked out well for me. So I just, you know, anything that's on HBO, I'm going to give it a shot. And it was just a real privilege, you know. Um, that was a, a big deal for me as an actor. Um, and, you know, just on the bucket list of what I want to do. With HBO, I feel like they give their directors a lot more leeway. So um, it just felt like it feels like a more artistic collaboration. You know, it's not like you do a take and then you hear like, oh, you know, the producers want you to do it this way. And then... So that was that was a thing. We also wanted to know what her biggest takeaway was. Like, what did she get out of it? What was the biggest thing she walked away with? My biggest takeaway from this experience, I really had to think about this one. Okay, my biggest takeaway is just as an actor, working in this market, um, a local actor, you know, um, my biggest takeaway is that the higher up they are in their career, the cooler they are. <laughs> and you wouldn't necessarily think that, right? But I think, you know, it's the scrappy, it's the scrappy ones coming up where, you know, that's where I've experienced the horror stories. Um, but they were both just so kind and generous. And, you know, Woody gave me a lot of ad-libbing and, you know, Matthew, just the fact that he would do that, you know, and just encourage you. And we had the opportunity to say thank you, you know, and how much of a privilege it was to work with them. And they were just so gracious, you know. Um, so my that was my biggest takeaway. You know, I think that once you've arrived, you just know you can look back on, on the journey and just be be the star, you know, and be, be someone who takes care of others and makes you feel welcome. Um, because, you know, a lot of the times you are just the new kid over and over and over again. You show up on set and it's already running, you know, and you have a day's work. And um, so for, for humans just to be that cool and sweet and to just, you know, uh, give you what you were hoping for in meeting them and working with them. Um, was a beautiful experience. 
So that was my big takeaway. Um, my also, also, just as far as the writing, just writing what you know, and um, also just creating something that that isn't so cliche, you know, taking taking that type of story and just really layering it with so many so many other dimensions and contradictions in humans you know i just i just think that's the power of storytelling to be able to watch something like that and relate so heavily with all of them is is awesome especially when you feel like on the surface you're nothing like them you know I really can't say enough about her. She was so amazing and a joy to listen to. And she was so cool for sending an audio clip, answering all of our questions. She just asked if we can mention some of her friends' projects. There's a little project called Days of Daisy that is out now on Amazon. So please check that out. She wanted to let us know also that she made a coloring book. And I checked it out. I have to say it is so cool. Uh, she kind of calls it a... Sacred Geocat Coloring Book for Adults. It's a high shade, subtle stroke color penciling for snazzy adults and sophisticated kids and cool cats. We, of course, will have the link to her coloring book in our story notes, so please, please, please check it out. Also, you can look for Juanita in Carry On and Twisted Metal, which will be on Peacock and a film called Imaginary. We cannot wait to watch those. We love Juanita, and we are so happy she was able to send us an audio clip. So thank you so much again. Yes, thank you so much. So hey, true detective. True detective. Really talk about what we're here for. That is, we're not here for burger talk. We're here for true detective talk. So episode three, season one, episode three. Episode three. uh, Originally aired January 26, 2014. Uh. And this one got a 9.1 rating on IMDb. So out of the three, this is the highest so far. Uh, I've got the little IMDb episode summary. uh, And it is as reads. (laughs) Cole and Martin finally get new wind in the case and can confirm a suspect. Martin's mistress gets on with somebody else, leaving him furious. Cole's theory becomes increasingly more convincing than ever. And that's it. That is the summary. Okay. And I, I thought the little tidbit about Cole was so vague. I was like, theory yeah. about what? It's but I like, mean, that's a pretty good summary. Yeah. It, it really it was a very uh, lean yeah. <laughs> summary, but yeah. it, it's, it's there. Yep. So it opens on a panning shot. Do uh, you think it's dusk or dawn? of the church where we left off in episode two and Russ is of course taking notes because he is like the man, the detective. Do you think it's like dusk or dawn in that shot? For some reason, I imagined it being dawn, but I like they were there all night. Yeah. Because I don't know why, or maybe it just, yeah, took, took them a little bit to, you know, search around the church and, yeah. And, and they I had to call, you know, the other backup to come. And yeah, I do want to say uh, you were right about the drawing. It was a woman with antlers and I thought it was supposed to be like some sort of boogeyman thing. I feel like it, that I have seen an image that you were talking about in the last of the king. OK, the crown. Yeah, I, I didn't I see that at all. I, don't, I can't remember if it's 
something from one of the other two episodes or if it's something in the future. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just, you know, the power of suggestion. You're just, right. You know. I really thought I saw like a gold crown king. Oh, okay. So, but they didn't mention the king at all in this episode. No. Yeah. Just the they tall didn't. man, but the we'll talk about man. that. Right. Uh, so then it cuts to a traveling salvation show with uh, the preacher giving his gospel to an audience. Uh, the preacher, his name is Joel Therio, and he is played by Shea Wigham. Um, and the whole time he's preaching, Rust and Marty are off to the back of the church just observing this spectacle. And Marty, uh, it, Rust is talking to Marty about how intellectually inept the patrons of the church likely are. And that was kind of putting it nicely as well. So, right. Yeah. Um, I think you said <clears throat> something like the only thing stopping people from being de decent is divine reward. Yeah. I and that was interesting. Yeah. And uh, Russ said, if that's the only thing keeping them decent, then they're shit people. Yeah. Or something. Uh, yeah. I think it was, that's what it was. Yeah. It was like, if yeah the only thing stopping them from from being decent or being good people is divine reward then you know basically they're not his kind of people yeah so uh the thing <laughs> you know and, and, and obviously they have two different spiritual belief systems uh marty and rust and so they're just kind of going back and forth as far as whose ideology uh seems to be more accurate as far as, or, or more plausible. Right. Uh, Marty comes back to rust and he said, uh, I don't use $10 words as much as you, which I thought was a funny way of saying yeah. fancy talk. Right. So, uh, but that just, that made me laugh. Right. $10 words. Yeah. It so. was a little, yeah, it was a little tit for tat, but I feel like rust had these big, long, you know, complicated, yeah. uh, ways to describe what he believed in and yeah. i think was it marty that said you have a yin for fantasy like he just lives in the yeah the fantasy world yeah he also yeah. said something like can you see texas up there on your high horse yeah yeah so, i like that I yeah like that. it was it was a good dialogue uh between the two of them um uh, just their banter back and forth is right. always, it's just such good writing. Right. And Marty said that uh, Russ sounded panicked when yeah. he talked that way. Yeah. I didn't think he sounded panicked at all. No. Not in his no. body language, not in his voice, not in his demeanor. In any way did he look panicked. I think it made Marty feel panicked. And he was like, kind of projecting that. Right. Because Russ was completely calm. Like, he had said this or you know to other people or in his own head you know so many times until he like understood it you know but and this might be a sign that marty is opening up to rust a little bit more too mm -hmm. because before when rust would go off on his tangents marty would just you could tell he would be flustered and he would just be like all right let's just shut the hell up let's not talk Right. Like, I'm the only one talking from here on out. Like, it would always be something like that. Now there's beginning to be some sort of debate, you know? Like, uh, Marty is engaging Rust with debate instead right. of just telling him to shut up and he's wrong, you know? Yeah. So I, I did appreciate that. Um, 
so later, Marty seems to be uh, uh, taking the lead on this investigation, which is the first time we've seen this. Right. Uh, he actually starts interviewing the preacher, having a conversation with him. Uh, Rust is in the background following along. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I didn't. He really wasn't the yeah. focus of this. No. Part. But yeah. But I, I have noticed that when they are interviewing or questioning someone together, if it's the two of them and the person, mm. that Russ kind of hangs in the background, lets Marty do the talking. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, that that seems to be the theme yeah. since episode one, that right. Marty's the people talking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Solid um, observation, Jamie. Oh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Um, so they talk to the... Do we want to go to the church? Yeah, keep going. Yeah, so the, the guy that they were observing, the, the preacher, Yeah. what was his name? Uh, it, Joel Theriot. That's right, that's it's right. It's T-H-E, it's The Riot. But yeah. every, everything is French in Louisiana, so it's Thoreau, or right. I would guess it's supposed to be Preacher Thoreau. Yeah. But yeah. Um, what, did, what did you think about him? I didn't get any creepy vibes from him. Uh, the thing that keeps coming up for me is everybody seems to be focused around Tuttle. Right. Tuttle keeps getting mentioned in every single right. episode. So Who is this? Billy Lee Tuttle. Yeah. Who is this guy? Yeah. So it, every time it's the governor is Tuttle, correct? And his cousin or brother, one of them, mm-hmm. is who we met at the end of the first episode, right. who was the preacher Tuttle. Right. So it, it's like this guy keeps showing up. So mm-hmm. it, it's not too hard to figure out that he could be the antagonist right. in the long run. You just, right. I mean, you got to be paying attention, of course. But it's like, uh, obviously, a lot of Tuttle talk. A lot of Tuttle talk. (laughs) It's another episode of Tuttle talk. (laughs) Um, So clearly, he's a very prominent person in the community. The Tuttles, not just the governor, but the the pasture Tuttle. Uh, And it turns out he has uh, a plethora of schools and other businesses, almost like a franchise, almost of. Mm businesses uh in, in his arsenal um but still nothing yet on on the Tuttle other than he's connected to pretty much everybody right it just makes you raise an eyebrow yeah it's like man there's another thing of Tuttle uh, uh let's see so after Marty talks uh to the preacher he's then talking to two females alone in the field uh one of them was like the preacher Thoreau, his wife or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, Marty's, he learns that Dorling may have left with a weird face fella, super tall, shiny face, perhaps, shiny face. perhaps burned. Perhaps, they they said yes. shiny face, but yeah, perhaps burned. But a tall man kept coming up yep. with everyone they. Yeah. Instead of the king, it was yes, the tall man. The tall today. man. Right. Yep. We have the king, we have the tall man. Yep. Uh, while Marty is talking to, uh, the ladies, Rust is talking to the preacher now. Uh, he's trying to get some information on, uh, somebody that may be mentally handicapped. 
right. or appears to be mentally handicapped. Uh, so Rust runs a background check on all of the employees. Turns out that the special needs guy had a record, uh, and the preacher is pretty sure of his innocence uh, as Rust is starting to think of him as a suspect. So Russ does a little one-on-one interrogation and finds out that the guy uh, has no balls. Right. He was castrated horribly. Yes. Horribly castrated. In jail from... uh, The Bloods. Yep. From the Bloods. From the Bloods. Yes. I I didn't pick up on that until this this time around. In Angola. Which I believe is in Indiana. I'm sure there's more than one Angola, but the one that I know of is in Indiana. Okay. Uh, And as Russ was checking this out... The special needs guy also pooped himself. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I would say that that kind of cleared all suspicions. Yeah. Of him. Yep. Um, He's also in the, uh, as we learned in this episode, he is in the opening sequence as well. He's he's on one of the slideshows as the credits are rolling in. Right. So it's always nice to put like a face. Yeah. So like, oh, yeah. We know that guy from the intro. Right. So. And so, uh, so that cleared him, but Marty was a little like, so leaning towards the possibility yeah. that it could be him. And he named off his reasons why, and uh, Russ was like, you know, that's pretty good, but yeah. not him, no, you know? Not him. And that's, um, that's when he reveals. The, the, yeah, yep. exactly. But I, I thought that was funny because that was... It was almost like, let's just wrap this up. We've got a day. Yeah. This makes sense. Let's take this to the, yeah. you know, to our boss. And, you know, um, but I think it was, you know, kind of the the lazy way out. Yeah, for Marty sure. Style. For sure. Um, so after Rust clears the mentally unstable guy, uh, they're now shown discussing the case over food. And I have to say, there's nothing I dig more than when two detectives are discussing a case, eating on the job. Mm. There's it's just such a cool little thing. I remember yeah. le- uh, in Lethal Weapon, they were eating hot dogs, and I think they were eating hot dogs in this too. Like they were just discussing the case, eating hot dogs. Yeah. And Russ just looks so cool, just eating a hot dog. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm just. Yeah. I'm probably weird on that. No, that, that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, after some clever banter about uh, about doubt, <laughs> right? And it's during this while they're eating too. Rust continues to give Marty some jabs about the type of person he is right. and, and the, his character. Yeah. And instead of Marty getting mad again, this is where there's a little bit more debate going on. It's uh-huh. not just shut up. You know, I can't handle this. Right. Like Marty starts to dish it back a little bit, which is good. You know. Yeah. And uh, I think Rust wins the conversation, the debate. Right. Uh, he said, I doubt that. He yeah. kind of walked away. So that, that was a. Yeah, after they, after they talk about denial. But I love. Oh, did you have more to say? No, no, no. Keep going. I loved when Rust was saying, you're, ob- you're obsessed too. Yeah. It's not about the job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, he just made some some really good dabs. I mean, it was pretty good. Marty was holding his own with the back and forth, but yeah, I think Russ did. 
Oh, I appreciate it being a challenge, too. Yeah, me like, too. Like, it's about time that Marty just doesn't... I mean, Marty deserves all the shit in the world. Right. But it's about time that he starts holding his own a right. little bit, too. Right. You know? Uh, so after they wrap up that conversation, uh, they decide to put out an APB on the tall man with a scarred face. They even start checking some hospitals, uh, run the hospital records for any matching... Uh, uh, people of interest right um so then it the, it cuts to a very emotional scene in my mind uh rust is at marty's house now uh mm-hmm. so we're fast forwarding a little bit right uh, rust is at marty's house without marty knowing and this is this is the part that gets me uh he also mowed marty's yard and marty is very passionate about his lawn and it's followed by a really weird walk by Rust as well. Yeah. So, just, I don't remember him walking like that. Right. In any of the other, in the first two episodes. But then again, I think it was exaggerated just because he didn't have a shirt on. And you could see, <laughs> like, his, you know, his, like, I mean, muscles. You, I mean, just he was so stiff. Like, you could see his stiff arms and his. Yeah posture oh he was looking really know. good in the the tank top yeah i mean i, mean, I didn't notice but well yeah no, <laughs> no, no i wasn't looking uh it's it was kind of a interesting scene because there's rust in marty's house without marty rust is bonding with maggie yeah they're having conversations apparently maggie's trying to hook him up but secretly it's looking like maggie's interested in rust like she's she's throwing down the subtle body language right she i moved feel like closer she moved, and, is that right in front of him yeah you know yeah um, she was in the kitchen kind of keeping it a casual distance and yeah she moved closer and as the conversation started getting a little more intimate yep yep uh like nothing shady but just a little intimate just you can it's almost suggested that They've been chatting for a while. For like, a while. Th- this isn't yeah. just a second encounter. His first no. encounter being the dinner right. from episode one. Like right. this seems like mid conversation. Yeah, they're they're right. already knowing each other at this point. So that's kind of suspicious. So how often are they hanging out? I'm sure we're missing a lot from the story because it takes place over so many weeks. Right. But uh it, yeah, it just it really felt like they had already mm-hmm. established a relationship. There's already a friendship there. Right. Um and of course, it's almost like Rust demasculated or emasculated, whatever the proper word right. is, Marty. Right. Because he cut his yard. And I thought it was interesting. We come home, we see the yard is cut, but it's not until we see the trash can of yard clippings next to the mower do we realize that the art has been cut. So, I mean, right. otherwise we would just think Marty just cut his yard. Out. And he, yeah. I mean, he looked a little like yeah. messy. I mean, it looked like he had some grass bits on his yeah. tank top. And, and Russ had, he was like, I brought the mower back. You know, when right. Marty comes out. returned it. Yeah. What are you doing here? Doing a favor. Yeah. I brought the mower back. Well, you cut my grass. He's like, well, I returned the favor, yeah. which in that instant, I was like, well, that was really nice of Rust. Mm. But then it goes right back to, Ah, you still just can't cut another man's yard. Right. And let's be honest. Did Russ 
cut the lawn as a favor for Marty? Or did he cut the lawn as a favor for Maggie? That's a good point. Also, would he have cut the grass intentionally to piss Marty off? That's the question. Yeah. I mean, he definitely could justify that he was doing it to just return the favor for letting him use the mower. But I, I feel like Rust is a smart guy. Yeah. Did he know he that can, it would push his buttons? Probably. You got to think so because Rust right. is the type of guy that can see a little bit fourth dimensionally. Like he can, he can see things playing out. Yeah. But at the same time, he always has the, uh, the card to play where he was just being a nice guy. Right. Like, he doesn't ever have to leave that card. I was right. just being a nice guy. You right. let me borrow your mower. Mm-hmm. In return, your grass got longer. Right. I cut it for you. Thanks for letting me borrow the mower. Right. But did he so. overstep his boundaries? As a man, yes. That? Okay. Yes. And and Rust should know this. And I don't know why. It's totally a weird thing to be obsessed with your lawn. I know if I came home and somebody cut it without me knowing it rubs you the wrong way. It rubs you the wrong way. And I, I don't know why. It's, right. And, and maybe it's not just a man thing, but it feels like a stupid man thing. So I enjoy mowing, but I, if someone mowed my lawn for me, I'd be like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Not I by mean, surprise, no, I'll though. do it next week, but yeah. thank you. You know, yeah. I, I'll, I'll take the break sometimes. I don't mind. Yeah. So uh, later... In the night, Maggie gives Marty the uh, the head nod. Marty and the whole family is watching a, a sporting event. I couldn't tell if it was baseball or basketball. Uh, but Maggie gives Marty the head nod. And I thought it was going to be for sneaky sex. I thought it was going to be like, let's get these kids to bed. I, that, that was my first Like, you're finally too. home. You're never yeah. home. You're finally home. Like, let's get these kids right. to bed so right. we can- you know, a little yeah. something, something. Exactly. I was uh, like, oh, that's not what I thought was going to happen here. Yeah. So it, it turns out it was for a drawing that one of his daughters did at school. Right. Uh, which is weird that it's drawings because I thought it would have been time to talk about the little about the orgy dolls. scene. So why did they not talk about the dolls? Yeah. Maybe the, it was like, okay, they, we could let that one go, but now there's yeah. no way we can let it go any further than this. I mean, and we don't even know if Marty ever told Maggie about the right. whole right. sex scene know. with the dolls. Like, yeah. we don't know. Right. So, uh, Marty does his best to be an involved parent, and it's an awkward situation. I'm not exactly sure how I would handle it. Right. Uh, uh Maggie seems to take it a little, I don't know. I thought they worked okay together as a, as a mom and dad. Yeah. You know, but it did seem obvious that the girls were either, they felt more comfortable. Uh, they were really, you know, cuddled up to Marty. Um, yeah. And kind of turned their, you know, kind of just gave them, you know, she was, she was kind of sitting across from him, but they were on his lap and, you know, it just seemed like they, wanted his attention yeah or they felt more comfortable talking to him about it you know and it was was an observation for me it it, it is also uh suggested that marty wasn't even really engaged in the whole parental aspect of it because it it was suggested that he was looking past his kid and at the tv and maggie kind of picked up on this too 
Uh, it was super subtle. I, I only saw it the second time we watched it. Um, I thought Marty seemed engaged in the conversation, but right. it, it, it was suggested. If, if you look for it, uh, Maggie gives a look at the TV like, can you be present right now? Like, this, okay. is, this is a serious situation. Okay. Um, it, 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 so it, it's, it, it seems like Marty may not be so involved with his kids and is like the parenting responsibilities right. as well. He's a, he's a little detached from everything right now. Yeah. Yeah. So like we're buddies. He's, he's, atta- he's detached from everything right now. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> next we're in the bedroom. It, it's, it's obvious that it's later in the night. Marty and Maggie are talking about the situation Marty was looking at the drawings that his, his daughter had done uh, and he throws the book down and she's like, is that the extent of your concern? And I thought that was kind of weird too. Like, is he just supposed to keep looking at the drawings? Like he, right. I think he got the message. Right. Um, he's trying to play off the situation though. I think he's trying to put the moves on Maggie a little bit right away. And she wants to have a serious conversation and and she suggested to him like I'm close, Marty. I'm close. Right. I'm not exactly sure what close meant. I was gonna ask you what you thought it meant. I think it means like she's ready close to leave to, to being done. Yeah. 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 Um, um, when I'm sorry, I know, I know that they're in the bedroom now, but I wanted to say that she said girls always know before boys when she was talking about the girls. And I didn't want that to get away because, I mean, obviously she's referring to sex, right? Right. And do you think that's because girls just mature a little earlier? But she also says it's because we have to. When he said, why yeah. is that? It's because we have to. Yeah. Why is that? Because we have to. Because they have to. I think it suggests that girls have to play defense. Right. So they have to they have to know at a young age what they're up against. Right. That's so they, that's how I interpret. They pay that. attention to that because they have to. Yeah. Right. Yep. Which I I think makes sense. Yeah. You know. So I mean she's she's thinking um, she wants to have a serious conversation and I feel like the them talking to the girls kind of um, opened that up where she's like okay I've got them here. We've tackled this thing. Right? We should go ahead and keep this conversation going while he's here and mostly present. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's let's talk about this now. Let's nail out some problems. Right. Uh, so finally, Maggie just flat out asks him, what have you been doing? Like, and right. Marty gives this look like, does she know? Like you could tell he's processing this. Like, what does right. she know? Like, should I lie? What? What's? Where's she going at? Right. So he kind of deflects, and he honestly makes sense a little bit for somebody. His analogy, where it's like he just he starts pointing out his problems, and it's like I'm getting older, right. and I'm feeling like the coyote from the Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know, and it's like. If I can just stay focused, am I going to be okay? You know, like mm-hmm. if I just keep pushing on, I can ignore everything else, even though I'm probably about to fall off a cliff or 
maybe a stick of dynamite's going to blow up or something like that. Like, right. And ultimately he comes to the conclusion, like maybe he's just messed up. Right. And Maggie seems to be, I don't want to say turned on, mm-hmm. but I think she appreciates his vulnerability. Oh yeah. And then I think that's something that she's attracted to rust about too, is his vulnerability. He talked about, I mean, she actually talked about that. He yeah. was vulnerable. He was raw. He was yeah. real. Yep. Um, not perfect, but laying it out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, but she did say something to Marty before he really opened up that where she said, you put a ceiling on you. Yeah. And Rust had kind of said something similar to that uh, back when they were kind of picking, you know, nitpicking at each other. Uh, he said, well, at least I don't uh, race to the stoplight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. He's saying he is stopping himself. Yeah. He's there. He's holding himself back. Yeah. The better things. Um, but I thought his his apology or his, uh, his, well, basically Woody's monologue was brilliant. I thought he nailed that thing. I thought. I did too. I believed him. I thought it sounded sincere and I thought it explained his motivation for some of the things he's doing. I. Um, I felt like it was very relatable to things that I've dealt with. Right. Like uh, just how he was acting, how you could see his thought process on his face. I thought it was a fantastic performance. Even if he was deflecting, he Mm -hmm. still was like opening up and and hitting the nerve. And it doesn't make anything else okay, but he was hitting the nerve. I'm like, well, this is, I think I'm messed up. Yeah. Like, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't being forthcoming. He wasn't, I mean, he was, you know, dodging some things. Yeah. But it was a start. It was a start for him. I think it was a step in the right direction. Yeah. For him. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And, you know, when he said, I'm messed up, or I think Maggie said, yes, you are. You yes, are you messed are. up. Yeah. Yeah. But it seemed the sex scene... It was intimate. It was real. Like you believed that, you know, there were some, you know, in the second some time healing there, I thought it was a bit unnecessary. I, the first time we watched it, I felt like it went on a little bit too long. I'm like, do we need to see all of this? Right. And then the second time we watched it, I was like, Oh, it actually wasn't that long. So, but it was necessary because coming out of the sex scene, it, it we go into the modern day interviewing between the two detectives and you can just see Marty there and you can see he's like dwelling on it. And he was like, that was maybe a good moment. Like it didn't feel like it, but maybe it was a good moment in my life. And obviously he doesn't have that anymore. Right. So, and I wonder if he was looking back at himself too and thinking, man, I wish I could have seen how beautiful that was then, you know? Yeah. Like he was reflecting, like he was lucky. Like, right, man, Maggie. Yeah, she really was pretty good. Right, um, or still is. I don't right. remember everything. So exactly. Um. So then they cut to well, when when they go back to modern day Woody, he he sort of like which one of you is the box man? He's like right. 
And uh, I think they mean like the main interrogator. Right. You know, trying to get Good confessions. In interrogation yeah. box. So interrogation room. Marty points at one of the detectives and he's like, it must be you, right? You know, and I don't know if it really was or not. Neither, neither detective lets on that it was them. Right. And uh, so Marty's like, I was good, but I was not as good as Rust. So then it, it cuts to Rust. He's talking to uh, one of the matches from, from the hospital. Maybe the tall burn face man. Yeah. yeah this guy. Shiny face man. Yep. This guy definitely had shiny scars. Uh, he was he, at the in, interrogation table and Mar, uh, Rust is just in his face. He's like, I know you did it. Like. It, it, none of us are perfect. Like well, you can be set free. Just do it. And he's got this guy worked up and this guy is ready to confess and say anything. And then Russ just looks up at Marty. And he's like, you know, he just gives a little look and shakes his head. No, he's like, this isn't our guy. Yeah. You know? Right. So. Yeah. It, and he told the, in the interrogator. Yeah. In the interview with the, the cops, Russ, he said that he can look at somebody and just think like they think. And that's how he gets them to open up. Yeah. And he said, you can see the ones that, that wear their, the hunger, their hunger in their heart. Is that what it was? Haunt, Something like that? I thought. The hunger mm. in the haunt. Mm. I thought it was in their heart. It, it might have, have been. have to look that up. I was, I, <laughs> I was really trying to focus on the, <laughs> the caption on the second watch. Um, oh. I thought it said haunt. Okay. But it's, okay. it's not always clear. So. I heard heart. Okay. It, it but resonated with me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think either one rings true, though. True. Like, I mean, I can I can see it that way. Yeah. 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 Um, so Rust is working all night. Yeah. Uh, the 2012 Rust is given pointers with a voiceover montage of 95 Rust going through boxes of pictures and files right. and stuff. And I really thought it was an interesting montage, too, because it was like the camera was panning from left to right, and it was going through aisle after aisle after aisle of these files and boxes and stuff, and Rust was in each one, and it was just, it was really edited well, it was really put together well, I thought it was very creative. Right. Um, uh, Rust said he might as well put his uh, insomnia to good use. Yeah. Uh, I just love it. I love that Rust is such a dedicated professional and that he just, he kept working on the case while Marty's off doing whatever. Right. Yep. Yeah. And then he gets set up. He does get set up. Uh, his, his alarm on his wristwatch goes off and, uh, he's late for dinner. Right. So they were having dinner at Longhorns. Longhorns. That was the name of the bar. It was the name of the bar, but I don't think it had anything to do with the chain. No, I don't. Unless think so. it's like the original Longhorn. Right. Uh, but yeah, he meets up with Marty and Maggie with a friend of hers for a double date. Uh, when Rust sits down, uh, Marty starts pouring him a beer and Rust automatically says no. So Rust pours, uh, Marty pours the beer back into the pitcher. Um, at this time, Maggie's friend is trying to get Maggie's attention and give her the head nod of approval like this guy's uh, you know based right. off the cover of the book is looking good right right so she's and already interested she tries to strike up a conversation about synesthesia and i'm glad you brought that up yeah so apparently rust can taste colors right. but it's not necessarily colors it's just that 
is sensory. It's, it's all kind of linked. So when he sees a color, he gets a taste in his mouth. Right. Just from a previous connection with that color. Uh, I kind of connected to like when you hear a song and you're like, I remember exactly where I was the first time I ever heard right. the song. So it's just a overactive sens- sensory. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I would connect it to memories and senses, yeah. you know, like they blend right. together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you remember, like every time you hear a song, you remember exactly where you were the yeah. first time? Well, most of the time. Certain songs. There, certain yeah. Songs. If, yeah. There are definitely songs that bring me back to a specific moment. Yeah. You know, maybe I heard it at the, uh, state fair yeah. or something and I was riding a ride and I could taste the cotton candy and I can you know yeah. smell the all the different smells when I hear that song yeah so it's very interesting though and I really like they were definitely a bunch of ten dollar words that I couldn't quite yeah, follow everything right. even with the caption on yeah uh, but I, I did think it was very interesting uh, Maggie's friend is played by Jamie Elliott uh, I didn't see what her character's name was though but anyway jamie elliott's in this episode too okay (laughs) um i'm guessing maggie probably said he was good looking if i had to guess she probably talked him up really well um before rust got to the table uh they were trying to describe him to her right and it's funny because Marty had a different description than Maggie did. Yeah. But it was still kind of the same. They were just looking at different sides of the apple. Right. I guess. Well, Maggie saw it as, you know, she liked that, those qualities yeah. in him. And Marty was trying to make it be like, oh, he's a, he's weird. He's, yeah. he's weird. Be ready. Yeah. <laughs> what Marty had a problem with Maggie likes. Right. So, right. Yeah. Uh, while they're having drinks, Marty sees his mistress with another guy. Yeah. Uh, So he finds an excuse to get to the bar. He gives her the look like, hey, meet me up at the bar. And uh, Marty hints at like, oh, are you trying to talk me into getting a divorce for you? Like, what's the game you're trying to play here? Right. And she's like, I don't want to marry you, which just says the whole time she's just using him for sex out of convenience. She's like, that's the whole thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to marry you. Yeah. So then she says this as in you and me has run its course and she walks away and Marty can't let it go. You can see him. He's stewing on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, He takes two shots of something. Um, and then he takes a picture of beer back over, uh, to the table and Maggie's like, Hey, I didn't come here just to drink. So they both end up dancing too. the whole time. Marty is keeping an eye on, uh, his mistress and mm-hmm. poor Maggie. She has to see that he's like constantly looking he's just off not and, even there. Yeah, yeah. He tries to blame it on a guy who thought he was supposed to be in Paris or right. Parish or something. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Rust is a weird dancer too. He he sucks at dancing, but I was really happy to see him dancing. Though I, it, his character surprises me. He they, he Rust makes surprising choices, in my opinion. Yeah, I just didn't expect him to to get up and and dance. And it wasn't like he he looked he was having an okay time. 
I, I think he was tolerating it. I don't think he was having fun. I think he was yeah. just like, this is just what I'm doing But right he was now. a good sport about it. Yeah, he was. He definitely wasn't being a bump yeah. on a log or anything. But I noticed he was kind of looking around, too. He had his eyes every once in a while. He, he was aware of his surroundings at all times. But I think that's two different things. For two different reasons. Yeah, exactly. 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 Marty was trying to spy on one particular person. Right. I think Rust was trying to make sure he wasn't going to get stabbed in the back by exactly. anybody. So exactly. So I think he was just on constant surveillance. Yeah. Um, but he was like hunched over her the way he was doing it too. Like he was, I know he's a tall dude. Strange. Yeah, he, it was But he was, he was really kind of leaning down. Yeah. Um, cut to later in the night, uh, Marty drunkenly runs over a kid's bicycle and he storms yeah. up to his mistress's door and he, uh, He's pounding on it, and some stranger from across the way is like, "Hey, shut up!" You know, and yeah, and Marty is of course like, "No, you shut up!" Of course, he says something a little bit dirtier, uh, and then he—I don't want to say he beats up the guy. He really doesn't punch him or anything, but he definitely manhandles him, and he wants—he's he, got his badge out too, so he's like, "Don't even think about doing anything," you know, like I'm. I've got this. And, and Marty just kept asking one question over and over to the guy. Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, he, he finally told him. Yeah, he did. And, and, you know, I feel like that was, he was like, I just wanted to know. He was obsessed on that one thing. And that's a weird thing. It is. Yeah. It is. So. Um. I thought it was interesting that that uh, that whole scene of Marty losing it came right after uh, him talking, Marty talking to the cops about Cole and talking about how you know he needed to have a family. He needed yeah. Yeah. like his uh, his job was really how he identified himself. He identified himself through his work. Yeah. And that he, you know, we had, you know, I had families. The rest of us had families, you know, people in our lives, uh, good things, you know. And he was like, people give you rules. Like, he's talking about all of this, you know, rules describe, you know, the shape of things or something like that. Yeah. And then that's, like, juxtaposed with him losing his shit yeah. over there and just, completely no control no rule breaking all the rules yeah you know and then um he, he he kind of ends that scene with of course i'm not gonna beat you up i would have never have done anything like that right. i'm not a psycho and right <laughs> yeah when he says i'm yeah. not a psycho is so different than when russ said i wouldn't bring that up at dinner i'm not a psycho Man, like he actually wasn't being yeah. a psycho but when Marty said it. He actually was being a psycho. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then after Marty leaves, uh, it shows Russ sitting in a lawn chair, one of the crappy, weavy lawn chairs from the yeah. 80s. Yeah. And Man, those are so uncomfortable. They would, like, cut into your leg after yeah, a while. Yeah, it left you, like, you had waffle marks on yeah. your legs. Yeah. Uh, and he gets a phone call from none other than Maggie who is obviously starting to suspect that Marty is up to something. Yeah. Uh, so she calls Russ to double check. Uh, and, and you know, Russ is straight up with her. He's like, I would not have heard anything. Right. Like, they wouldn't have called me anyway because they don't like me. 
Right. I mean, so, he was honest about everything without without throwing Marty under the bus. Under the bus purpose. There was no, he only stated the facts, the things, this is what I know. Right. This is all I can vouch for. Yep. I, that This is the information you're going to get because this is the only facts I have. Yeah. He didn't so, elaborate at all. Yep. So okay. he didn't, he didn't lie. No. But yeah, he did not indulge. But he didn't give his own personal feelings on it. Yeah. Right. His own interpretation of what's going on or what he knew yep. about Marty. And then something interesting happens. She doesn't seem to care about Marty. Her body posture then changes and she wants to know about Rust. Did he go inside when he yeah. dropped the lady off or her friend off at right. the door? Yeah. Like, and she's, she starts kind of caressing her face too. I don't know if you mm -hmm. noticed that, but she's yeah. really into this. I really think she was trying to hook her friend up so she could live vicariously through her right. she, to know what it's like. She's definitely very interested yes. and intrigued by Russ. Yeah, I think she definitely wanted to know what it's like to date Russ. Yeah. So. Definitely. Uh, now we have to assume it's early next morning. Russ is already at the office because he doesn't sleep. Yep. And Marty comes in and he's looking like crap. Yeah. Uh, the other it. cops are like three days in a row. Is yeah, this a three days in a row. Three days yeah. in a row of what? Is this a bender? I, I think he's just been coming in looking like crap. Like he's been out all night. for three. That's the way I took it for three days in a row. I, I couldn't figure it out. Like yeah, I wrote that down too. I was wondering if you got the same thing. But to yeah. me, the way I interpreted it was, you know, oh, here he comes again. And he's been out wearing the same clothes three days in a row maybe. Oh, or, okay. Right. Yeah. But still, where are we supposed to think he's been for three days in a row? I don't know. I guess on a bender. Because, I mean, I don't think he was with the the side girl. Right. So, see, I'm just now, I'm such an idiot. I'm just now putting this together. So, from the time Maggie calls Rust to the time in the morning, it's been three days that's later. What, that's what I gathered. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Okay. I don't know why I was trying to put together anything else. Like, I mean, it happens right after it could have been yeah. the next morning easily. So yeah. I see how you could think that. But I mean, they're they're obviously staying three days in a row to let us know it's right. been three more days. <laughs> you know, if we're keeping track on a calendar or something like, oh, right. well, this happened on this day. Right. Um, so they get to keep the case. Yeah. Since it's been more than two days. Ru Russ is super right. excited to see Marty. He, yes. Like like a little kid on Christmas morning almost. He's right. like, hey. Well, he's hey. been working. So he's he's like, I got another victim. Like, I think this is him. So he pulls Marty into this other room. They're talking. And then the uh, the major walks in. And he's like, hey, you guys got this new case. Go get it. And then that's when Russ breaks out. He's like, no, we got a new break in this case. So then the major's like, I thought you were giving that up. And then, uh, of course, Marty starts talking to the major. He's like, no, no, we're going to check this out. So uh, the major says, okay, two more, two more days. And then you guys start catching again. So uh, this... New victim, uh, it was ruled an accidental homicide from Hurricane Andrew. She was found in the flood, uh, but she has some stab marks and a tattoo that matches uh, the storyline. Right, so, so the spiral. Yeah, the spiral. So uh, it didn't look like a tattoo to me. It just looked like a pen drawing. Yeah, which it would have a really bad tattoo. Yeah, really bad yeah. tattoo. But I mean, of course, it couldn't. If it's supposed to be a tattoo, it could not have been a pen drawing because it, the pen drawing would have just come off in the water. 
you know? Right. Like it would, yeah. but it really did just look like ink from mm-hmm. a ballpoint. So, um, so I think Marty's starting to get excited a little bit about this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rust finally gets to drive in the car because where they're going is two hours away. It seems like Marty is starting to come to some personal realizations. Right. Uh, he starts asking deep for Marty questions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, do you ever think you're a bad man? Well, the first thing he asks is, do you think you can love two women at once? Oh, that's true. Yes. And and it's like he's looking for advice, maybe some leader. Uh, right. You know, something to point him in the right direction. Like, help me out here. You know, like, right. I'm opening up to you, Russ. Yeah. And Russ just takes it and goes the opposite way. <laughs> I don't think like, there is a such thing as love yeah. or something to yeah. that extent. It's like it, yeah. no help whatsoever to no. Marty. No. You know, like yeah. like Russ could have put him on the right path. Right. You know, and, and it, he could have. Yeah. <laughs> but Russ is flashing some badassery too because then, like you said, uh, uh, Marty asks, like, do you think I'm a bad man? Right. You know? Yeah. And, and Russ is like, no, I don't wonder, Marty. Right. Like, we are bad men, like yeah. that sort of thing. But we right. keep the other bad men from coming to the door. Right. Basically, we all are. We all have our bad yeah. qualities. Yeah. Yeah. And he takes the longest drag off the cigarette. His <laughs> cheeks got sucked in so they hard. Did. Like, he's trying to get that last drop right. out of a McDonald's shake. Yeah. You know? He just. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did. That's hilarious. <laughs> So they make it to some sort of bayou and they get this, uh, uh, the new slash old victim's grandpa and he is straight up a uh, Cajun man. Yeah. Uh, almost to the point where I was going to point out, it sounds like people like with the stereotypical bayou accent and French Canadians sound very similar. Mm-hmm. And I know they're mm-hmm. both heavily French influenced. Yeah. But it, it's almost like right. really... For being there's there's know, a heavy yeah friend. for being fifteen hundred miles apart these accents ended up being the same yeah so they are similar and that's interesting yep uh but he's able to give Rust and Marty some new leads he had some yeah. of uh, the victims uh, belongings and it turns out she went to a school that was part of the Tuttle Foundation yep so they mention it this is twice now in this mm-hmm. episode that Tuttle is mentioned. Uh, nothing like they're still not hinting that Tuttle is bad. Just Tuttle keeps coming up and it just, it's it's crazy. Yeah. It's a little carrot. Yeah. So they go to this school. Turns out it's been closed since Hurricane Andrew, Mm -hmm. uh, which was in 92, 1992. And, uh, and of course this is 1995 that this is taking place. Uh, so they pull up to the school. Russ gets out and he starts interviewing some lawnmower man who seems mm-hmm. like a straightforward guy. Yeah, but everybody's suspicious at this point. <laughs> yeah, every everybody's suspicious. Yeah. But the, the lawnmower man, he, he's he's straight up. He doesn't right. have any hesitations. Yeah. Uh, does not look guilty. No. I don't think. No. Um, and then out of nowhere, Marty just starts talking like an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. not just... Beep, beep, Why don't you, you know? just get out of the car and kind of wave him over? Yeah, hey, Russ, <laughs> you know, something. But he just, yeah. he's constant honk. Not one long honk, just a bunch of honks. Like yeah. a teenage kid outside of his friend's house. Oh, yeah. You know? That's what it reminds uh, me of, it, for sure. So Rust 
in his way, walks slowly back to the car. And Marty even says under his breath, like, can anybody walk so slow? Oh, yeah. So... He, I mean, he did it again. It's like when he was walking through the car. Yeah, like he doesn't have much he movement the with lawn. his. Yeah, he, he doesn't have just, much movement with his arms. No, he doesn't get in a rush. He, yep. he does it his way. Yep. So uh, yep. Marty fills him in, like, "Hey, we get we got this hot pursuit of the boyfriend of the of the newest victim in this episode." Um. Turns out he's got a record, and. Uh, he also shared prison time with uh, mm-hmm. Charlie Ledoux. Is that his right. name? Is that his name? Uh, Reggie. Reggie Ledoux. Ledoux. Yeah. Okay. Reggie Ledoux. Uh, and, and he's big into meth like uh-huh. that. And uh, so that makes him suspect number one, the first right. real suspect in the case. Right. And that was Reggie Ledoux. That, Re- that was Reggie Ledoux's the suspect. Right. But he shared prison cell with Dora Lang's boy yes, husband. Husband, yes, yeah. that's and right. That's the yes. name I can't remember right mm-hmm. now. I can't. I can't remember. Yeah, his name as well. but anyway, Dora right. Lang's husband, yeah. boyfriend. Uh-huh. They shared prison time with Ledoux. Right. So uh, they get all excited and they start heading off towards the suspect. Uh-huh. And the next thing we know, uh, there's a man in a gas mask wearing underwear. Yeah, and it was carrying the a machete. thing. It it literally, I, I think I could have nightmares about that guy. It is that was a very, very creepy. disturbing, very image. creepy. So well done, kind yeah. of in slow mo too. Like just oh like yeah, up. it was crazy. And we, man, the thing we got to mention too is, uh-huh. Rust starts making. He he throws a knife into a beer can, uh-huh. and he's the carving. This is right. Can. This is right about the time they're talking about uh, interrogation and stuff. Yeah, and and he's given his 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 pointers, you know. To right, we don't know what he's making at no, this point. No right. clue what he's making. We just right. know he took his knife out of his pocket and right. he stabs beer can. He's starting to carve something beer up. Beer can origami. Yeah, beer can <laughs> origami. And that's all we know is that he's carving right. up. And as he's talking from here on out, mm-hmm. he's just slicing up, and then he starts folding the aluminum or aluminium, depending on if you're from Great Britain <laughs> or yeah. And then um, aluminum. So, before we see the gas mask wearing machete guy, he places this little person down on the table that he made from the beer can. And it made me wonder, did he know he was going to make these people and tell this story? So he's like, go get me this beer can. Like, is this the whole point of the beer? Yeah. Did he not really drink? Well, he mean, just wanted to make some beer can origami. There were origami. parts when he was really dramatic telling the stories. So I was like, he's straight up drunk in these interviews yeah. now. Yeah. And so I thought he was just doing this drunken little fidgety thing. Yeah. I mean, it, I think he had, he was on his, he had carved up when he made the man. Mm-hmm. I think he had four other cans. Yeah. Still, he started on a new can. Yeah. Um. Did you want to say more about the origami? No, I, I just, I always try to piece it together. Like, did he have this in mind the whole time when he was drinking that beer? Like, I'm going to have mm. these two detectives go buy me <laughs> beer. And when I'm done, I'm going to make this little Reggie origami yeah, yeah. out of a beer can. Right. So I, I always wonder, like, how far yeah. in advance is he planning these moves out? Right. So, I don't know. I wanted to back up just a little bit before. I know we're at the end yeah, no, of that's the fine. episode. But I 
I found it kind of humorous when uh, he said that Russ kind of reminded, or that the grandpa, the girl's grandpa, kind of reminded him of Russ a little bit. Yeah. I agree. Like, the way he was talking, like, I can understand. I mean, Russ came across as way more intelligent and, you know. Yeah. But just the way he was going off on all these things that Marty didn't understand, it reminded him of Rust, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but Marty got a little deep um, in the interview, in his part of the interview with the, the detectives, the two detectives. Yeah. I love this. He said, you know, when he said that Rust, or the grandpa kind of reminded him a little bit of Rust, he said, because the grandpa, he... he to cope with his granddaughter's death, mm-hmm. he just, that's the way to do it. Just focus on the crab traps. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's that guy's work. He's focused on the crab traps. Just like Russ focuses on the case. Yep. For his, it's all about the work. He, he throws himself in his crab traps and yep. Russ throws himself in his, his, you know, in the, his work. And I thought it was, I could see a little, uh, epiphany like a little light bulb moment yeah in marty's eyes that he was proud of himself for coming up with that com- that realization that they are they are a little bit alike yeah. you know yeah so and, and i and thought I, that was a little deep for marty i like that and i didn't see that until you just explained it so oh. like i know marty said it but i was like right I, I don't see how he makes that connection like i thought maybe he was just taking a jab at at rust you know like these oh. two crazy buggers right so yeah, uh, but I think he understood Russ' distraction and the reason why yeah. he needs that. Yeah, um, just like the guy needs it to cope with the things that he's co- coping with. Yeah. he needs his crab traps for that reason too. Yeah. So and and like the first two episodes, like they all have their own little cliffhanger, and each cliffhanger is bigger than the last. Yeah, and it, it just ends. Yeah. On this gas mask, underwearing uh, fool with a machete. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. The heebie-jeebies, man. Yes. Yeah, that, and that comes after Rust giving his long spiel mm-hmm. about how it's all just a dream. Like everything all you have. Because he made a point. He's like all of the victims looking at all of these 14 hours of dead bodies. Like mm-hmm. you, you come to one realization, they all have the same look in their face. And it's not fear. It's it's relief that mm-hmm. they all accepted it. Like they yep. didn't have to hang on so tight. Pure surrender. Yeah, pure surrender, and, right. and that's that's when they give up. You know, right. that's that's when life is over. They they just give up. It's like it's all just a dream, and like all dreams, there's usually a monster at the end of it, and right. that's when they show this dude just walking. Oh, it was. It's very creepy. Very, creepy. very creepy. I can't wait for episode. I love four. that ending. Yeah, I love that ending. <laughs> yes, I'm so ready. Is it time to watch episode four yet? I think so. Woo. I think so. And honestly, I, I know this is the highest ranked episode that we've watched so far. Right. I would agree. I, would I feel too. like this episode, just the way it ends, is escalating. It's just such a smooth crescendo. It like is. it's just we're on this roller coaster ride, and we're going up, 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 and it just. It's perfect. It is. It is it's, so perfect. The tension's just getting tighter and tighter. It's really getting wound up now. Yeah. So, yeah. oh, I'm excited. I love it. I can't wait. I can't wait. So, you good? I'm good. I'm All so right. good. Well, we will be back soon with another episode, episode four of True Detective, season one. And uh, thanks for listening. Woohoo. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.
Thanks for listening. Check out our social media pages. At TV We Love on Twitter. TV We Love on Facebook. And TV We Love Podcast on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider following and subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate all ratings and reviews. Especially the five-star ones. We'll be back soon with another episode of TV We Love. Bye.